You know, one of the nice things of this summer series that we're in is we're not in a particular book or theme or topic. Uh, it's, it's a chance for me to just to, to kind of pray where God would, would lead me. And this is a topic today I think is really important and, and one that uh, the, the scripture we're going to be looking at is one that I looked at very briefly in a message about a month ago. And many of you said, you know, that really resonated with me where I'm at right now. I want to talk, I want you to talk more on that sometime. So today is that day of where we're going to look in the book of Philippians of, of this moment where the blessings that come sometimes aren't what we anticipate. The hardships we go through, the trials we have, uh, have great purpose and they're, they're a, a plan of God in that moment. So how do we walk through those trials and those hardships? as Christians, and, and what gift do we have that the rest of the world doesn't? And so today, as we're going to be reading in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, you can start opening up there, we see this great perspective and this perseverance from the Apostle Paul as he's going through one of his more difficult trials and how God is working together all of these things for something really good. And so I'm going to go on a limb here today and just say that some of you here are going through something difficult. You're struggling because of something that happened to you, uh, maybe in this current moment or in the recent history, or someone close to you in the areas of finances or health, uh, maybe in relationships. And I'm not really going on a limb because I know, as I say that, that applies to like every single one of us here today, right? We're all going through something difficult, and what you learn as a Christian is that hardship, suffering, trials, these are not, uh, these are not things that might come your way. They, they will come your way. And suffering is, is inevitable for us. But the key to work through that is perspective and perseverance. It's seeing the bigger picture and then the ability to just keep going. Now, opposition is, is a part of life. Uh, but it's it's a part of every part of our, our culture too. And and Phil had mentioned, you know, that football is picking up in a couple of weeks. And how many of you like to to watch football games every Sunday, right? You can't wait to get out of church for football. No, I'm just kidding. You love church. You'd never leave church for football. But it's something that that millions of people are going to be watching every week. But just imagine for a moment that the greatest quarterbacks of the league face opposition and hardship in their very first drive of the season. Let's just say that uh, Kirk Cousins comes out, very first drive, and he drops back for a pass and immediately throws it to the defender where they intercept him and run it, you know, 30 30 yards back for a touchdown. Imagine if Kirk said, you know what? Didn't work like I planned. Season's over. Pack it up. Let's go home. We're not even going to finish the game. We're not going to finish the season. What's the point? We had a game plan. It didn't work. It failed. Just give up. But there's something that, that quarterbacks will often do in that moment. And it's, it's something I saw growing up as a kid watching football that always was curious to me. And so when I was a kid, the quarterback in that situation would go to the sideline and they'd pick up a phone. And for, for the high school and junior high students here, this is a phone without a screen. Uh, it was a phone that had like a cord attached to it. It just it, like, it looked like a shoe, right? So they'd throw the interception, they go to the side, and, and they talk to someone. And I was wondering as a kid, who are they talking to? Like, are they calling their mom? Like, <laughs> I'm just having a bad game? Or are they thinking, like, I, I need a pizza at halftime? 
But who they had talked to, and now they, they do it with tablets and things, as soon as things don't go to plan, they feel the opposition, is they talk to someone who has a vantage point of the whole field. They can see everything happening at once. And for the quarterback on the field, all they're seeing is five 300-pound, six-foot-five guys running at them. But then they talk to someone who's 100 yards away and says, next time that happens, hold on for one more second. And just as about you're to be creamed by this lineman, let the ball go over the middle of the field, and it'll be an easy 80-yard touchdown. Perspective is important. And as a Christian, sometimes you feel like there's a whole line of guys running at you about to tackle you. But God says what you see isn't the whole picture. So stick with it. And eventually you'll see the reward. So the text we're going to read today is Paul essentially just taking a 20-yard loss, fumbling it, and the opposition carried it all the way to the one-yard line. He's under arrest. He's in chains, waiting to appeal before the emperor. And this emperor Nero happens to love killing Christians. And he could be in his, his position now saying, it's all over, pack it up, let's go home. But he sees the bigger picture, and he perseveres through the trial, and even comes to a place of rejoicing. Why? Perspective. Vantage point. He sees the bigger picture, and he keeps going. So let's read this together. And before I do that, I just want to pray for us. I want to pray for any of you here today that are going through the difficult things and asking yourself, why? What's the point of this? And how do I keep going? God has a plan for you. God has a bigger picture. And this is his message for you today. Let's pray today. So Lord, we want to thank you for your promises, for your hope, for your joy, for your peace that passes all understanding and can rule our hearts and our minds in any situation, that God, even in our sufferings and our trials, you have great plan and purpose. And so as we read this text today and we understand the, the real-life example of what the Apostle Paul went through, and yet he saw the bigger picture and he, he understood his purpose, God, may you work in all of us today, especially those who are suffering and those with pain God, that you would encourage them through your Holy Spirit and give them hope and inspiration to keep going, knowing that there is a greater thing happening than they can maybe see or understand at the moment. So I just pray, Lord, that you'd speak through your holy word, speak through me today, uh, that your Holy Spirit would touch each person here with the truth that you have for them and that the words that you have for their hearts. And we pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So we're reading uh, chapter 1. Uh, verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare, more, and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. 
The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Now, when I read this, I, I really find five important lessons to take out of this for all of us as we go through hardships and trials and sufferings of any kind. But to really understand the depth of what's happening here, there's going to be a lot of context given of where Paul is and, and how he got here. And, and from that, we can kind of read the subtext of what he's saying. And so I'm going to start with the first lesson in, in verse 12 and then kind of do a deep dive into how we got here. The first lesson is this. I think it's something we can all understand. Things rarely go according to your plans. So in verse 12, Paul is saying, I want you to know that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And what's happened to Paul here was not his plans. It was not his prayer. But he's finding that in this, there's something greater happening than he could have planned himself. Now, raise your hand if everything in your life has gone exactly as you planned it to be. Nobody. Really? Huh? So this is something that's, that's natural to all of us. We find out that we have our plans. We, we set everything forward to make those plans. And most of life is just recalibrating. Right? Because what you think is going to happen never really happens. When I was four years old, I thought I was going to be an astronaut. When I was five years old, I thought I was going to be a police officer. When I was six years old, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. And if you're at the softball game last week, you know that that was not a possibility for me. <laughs> never did I think I was going to be a pastor until maybe I was later in high school. But so often we put these plans forward in our lives, and they don't work. We have to recalibrate. And if we immediately gave up when our plans didn't work out, we wouldn't make it anywhere. What happened to Paul here is not what he was planning, but it's way better than what he thought it could be. And so to know where he is and what happened helps you understand this point. Paul is in Rome right now. He's in house arrest awaiting to appeal before the emperor. And this is really a long legal process that got him here. He got arrested in Jerusalem. He had spent a lot of time there, and he appealed before some people, finally made it to Rome now. And as I said before, this is before big, scary Nero that he's going to be speaking. But he said many years prior that he desired to visit Rome. It's what he always wanted to do, was to go to Rome, because Rome was the epicenter and in the book of Romans, he's encouraging this church there that he didn't plant. He's not sure how it came to be, but it's, it's flourishing. It's having an impact. He says, I want to go and encourage you. And he knows that all of authority and culture is stemmed from this place. So if he could partner with this church and encourage believers and reach people for Jesus in Rome, then it could essentially affect the whole world. Paul wanted to go to Rome. But not like this. This was never in his plans. 
And he's speaking to a church that has had a long relationship with him, the Church of Philippi. And of all the churches he planted, he probably had one of the best relationships with Philippi. They, they were encouraging to him. They, they supported him in prayer and finances. In fact, the whole reason he's in house arrest right now and not sitting in the dungeon below the emperor's palace is because Philippi is helping to fund him and stay in this, this place with these palace guards. But he's telling them, essentially, this isn't how we talked about it. This isn't how we planned it. I know initially this looked really scary and discouraging. But don't worry about it. This actually kind of rocks. <laughs> this, is, this is way better than I could have imagined. And in this moment, he's, he's seeing the positives when things don't go according to his plan. These chains that I'm in, that none of us wanted, are actually helping to serve, to advance the gospel. And to know what's going on here is to know this, the system that they had in place. Paul was a Roman citizen. And he was arrested in Jerusalem for kind of bogus charges and immediately faced the death penalty. They, they were trying to execute him often. But as a Roman citizen, he could appeal before the emperor, and any citizen for any reason could make that claim, even though he was already condemned to death by this group. And so he, he took that long journey to Rome, and it was a lot of legalese stuff and red tape, but now he's there. And it could take weeks or months or years to appeal before the emperor. And the emperor could just simply say, you know what, I agree. Off with your head, and, 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 and you're done. He didn't know where he was going to go with this, but he had the opportunity to be with the palace guards in house arrest. And they had one primary function. The palace guards were like the best of the best. They were the most notable, and they were assistants to the emperor. And, and they now were protecting the emperor's interest. So their function now is to be chained with Paul. One, to make sure he doesn't escape, but two, to make sure he's not attacked. And the way this worked is there's about 10,000 palace guards. And they would switch out every four to six hours in this house arrest situation. They'd be chained in, in quiet, isolated areas. And the way that they, they, they rarely had the same couple come in twice of palace guards. So he's in this room now for potentially years at a time, with all of these hard-to-reach soldiers with great influence. And at one point he realized, this is great. Because not only is, is, is Paul chained there, he can't go anywhere, but the palace guards are chained with him. And though he can't walk, he can still talk. So he comes to realize that this is an opportunity that no one else has, that I can tell these palace guards about Christ, and they can bring that back into the palace where they have great influence. So instead of complaining and giving up that things didn't go to plan, he came to realize there's an opportunity here he never could have imagined. And that brings us to our second lesson, is that we're to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us, right? We're often looking for the opportunities we want or desire, but God has something greater for you in the moment. And so he writes that as a result of things not going to my plan, essentially, 
It has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. You imagine this moment as he's in there. His palace guards are meeting him for the first time. There's probably a reputation starting with Paul of this is the crazy guy who had this like light blind him on his way to Damascus and there's scales over his eyes. But there's probably this intrigue as they're going into the situation and they're saying, what's you in for? Tell me about yourself, Paul. And he opens himself up to share Jesus with these people. Now, this is where we often get it wrong. I mean, we view faith kind of the wrong way. Because we often through, view faith and life through the context of ourselves and our desires. And, and there's a difference between your will be done, Lord, as a prayer, and my will be done, Lord, as a prayer. And sometimes we get in, in this wrong perspective that we have this end goal in mind. And our job and faith is to really believe that that's where we need to go. And prayer life is just trying to convince God that this is what's best for me. And we don't know Paul's prayer life up to this point, but it's, it's clear that through prayer, he's realizing that God has something better for me. And there's an opportunity I wasn't prepared for. And so much of life can kind of be unlocked. Faith can be unlocked when you have this perspective that God has a better will for you and a better plan for you than you have for yourself. This morning, we had the the blessing and the privilege to hear from some missionaries from another country who are going through hardships and persecution. And it was kind of last minute that we we had them available And we can't even share their names today just for security reasons. But one of them has been on a hit list since 2019 because he became a Christian, because he's been sharing Christ. And he had to flee his own country and his own friends and his own culture in many ways. And he's been having great influence here. But knowing that context, there's a moment this morning that they started with the song, Have Thine Own Way. O Lord, have thine own way. And it, it kind of just hit me emotionally um, what they were saying, knowing the context in which they were here. And that's not always the way I live, of, of have thine own way, O Lord. And I think many of us struggle with that, where we kind of stew over our circumstances and over the opportunities we we think we need. But the lesson we see here from Paul is there's always something greater out there than what you can ask for or imagine. He could have been sitting in prison with this great opportunity saying, once I am free of this, then I can minister to all the people out there in the streets that I can hear. Once I can get back to the way I planned it, then, then I can take advantage of the opportunities God had for me. And then at times, we're, we're waiting for our circumstances to change and for the opportunities we think we need, that we miss God's provision and his plan and the purpose of where we are now. Even if it's not the, if it's not the opportunity you asked for or desired, God has opportunities for you right now and your hardship, and there's a plan, and there's a purpose for the trials and the pain. We move on in this, and, and we see here that 
that the way Paul responds to this adversity not only affects his life, his faith, his joy, his hope, but it affects greatly, impacts the people around him. And he says, because of my chains, and probably more accurately, as the, because of his perspective and his attitude while he's in chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Paul's response in this, his perspective, his perseverance, are inspiring to people. And it's making the kingdom grow and flourish because people are, are becoming courageous and bold and fearless to share the gospel. And again, Paul could have just said, you know what, things are getting too hot, uh, things are getting too dangerous, pack it up, go home, lock your doors, stay in the basement until this all clears and blows over. But he kept going. And he persevered in the adversity. And now many others are inspired by his tenure and house rest and how he's reaching the whole palace guard. I think what we learn from this is that our response to trials not only has a bearing in our own lives, but in those around us. There's a massive difference when you are around you know, an optimist or a pe- pessimist or someone who has great hope and grit and determination and one who's just constantly complaining. And I think the former is one that, that you learn from and you want to be around and you want to be like them and, and the latter is one that you just kind of want to avoid. Right? How we work through adversity and trials is, is, is going to affect your family. It's going to affect your friends. It's going to affect the church body. And Paul was a great example to many in this moment, just like our missionary speakers this morning were a great example and encouragement to me. We move on from there, and we, and we see something here that's <clears throat> kind of hard to really understand what is actually happening. And, and Paul had had recognized that there were a lot of people who were inspired to do good and to do well. But he also recognized that, well, there's, there's some out there that, that aren't. And he's talking about these two groups, and I kind of edited this just to fit on the screen, but I'll read all three of those verses, 15 through 17. He said, It's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter, as he acknowledged in verse 14, The latter who are doing this for the right reasons, they do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of of the gospel. But the former, those who are preaching out of envy and rivalry, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can, uh, not not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Now, we don't know what this kind of opposition group is doing, what their motivation is, but there's a couple things that are clear here. Is they are Christians, they are believers, and they are preaching the true gospel here. This isn't false teaching. So they're, they're preaching the true gospel, but for the wrong reasons. And they're doing this out of some sort of petty rivalry with Paul. And we don't know exactly the situation here, but, but the best guesses are, are something just like, you know, in 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about how some pride themselves in who they follow. Some follow, some follow Paul, some follow Apollo, some Cephas. And his whole point there is like, no, guys, we're all following Jesus. Like, our earthly leaders don't matter. 
But it was, it was probably that some had this jealousy of Paul who kind of became the central figure of the church in the first century. You know, Paul had, you know, baptized these thousands of people. I've only baptized hundreds of people. So now that he's away, I'm going to make sure that I can kind of poach his followers for me or I can be greater than Paul. We don't know what's going on. But if I'm Paul in this situation and I've been treated unfairly and I'm in this, this, this prison situation, then I realize like these people should be my friends. These Christians should be my partners. And yet they're smearing me behind the scenes and, and they're slandering me and, and they're preaching Jesus for some reason that's not important. It's like, how low? How low could you be? And, and the, the point here, I think the lesson is sometimes life just isn't fair. Things aren't fair. Paul didn't deserve any of this. And if you read Paul's heart, especially through the New Testament scriptures, he was a man who wanted nothing more than just for Jesus to be glorified and magnified. It didn't have to be him. It didn't have to be his way and his following. He just wanted Jesus to be glorified. And now his own people, his own brothers and sisters, were fighting against him. I, I see this and it's like, that's like rubbing salt in the wounds. If the guy hasn't been through enough, now all these people who should have been a partner are opponents to him. You know, if we think about this, though, like the same thing happens to us all the time. Things that just aren't fair happen. And you can, you can ask the question, like, why did, the, why did the guy ever end me? You know, what, why is this financial hardship coming, this big home expense I wasn't expecting why do the medical results come back the way they are? And it's hard to reconcile that sometimes as, as a Christian. You, you can read his promises like God will work together all things for the good of those who love him. That's Romans 8.28. And you could say, yeah, but God, this doesn't feel good. <laughs> and sometimes life just isn't fair. And I just really feel for Paul here. And if it were me, I'd be throwing a pity party. Right? Come on, guys. What? I'd be writing letters to these people and saying, come on. Like, why, why are we fighting against each other? Can we just agree on Jesus? And, and Paul was one to address things like false teaching. Right? But this is the most important lesson that we have coming up here. Is, is he could have taken a lot of time talking to those opponents and saying, what are you doing, brothers and sisters? Like, we should be working together. But he lets it go. He just lets it go. Because as you see in, in verse 18, he sees the bigger picture. What he says here next is kind of shocking to me. And again, I, I, I probably wouldn't do this. He says, what does it matter? And, and translated directly, it, it can mean so what? Or in our modern language, he's saying, whatever. What, who cares? Because as long as Jesus is being preached, for good motives or bad, the true gospel is being spread, who cares if people don't like me? 
Right? He's able to move beyond himself in this and move beyond the pity. And he's really asking this question of himself. Like, what's more important? What people think of me or what people think of Jesus? Because one of those things has an eternal impact. The other just doesn't matter. He sees the bigger picture through his hardship. And that the thing that really should rub salt in the wounds and bring him to a place of bitterness. He can say, whatever. And through that perspective, he can rejoice. And here's where we start to see kind of this unlocking, this, this gift for us as Christians, is we have this ability and this privilege to move beyond ourselves and see the bigger picture of what God is doing. This is an incredibly healthy and mature perspective to say, whatever, whatever. And only with this perspective can he rejoice. There's always a bigger picture to what you're going through. And as I conclude, I want to make sure that people who are going through tough things today are not hearing something, okay? What I am not saying today is that the goal of the Christian life is to just smile through the pain and to just suck it up and to just bury the hard things in life. That is not what I'm saying today. Because I have the privilege of knowing many of you, and and I know that there are some of you here today that are going through incredibly difficult things. And I feel with you, I feel for you. Someone close to you is going through something hard. Something in your very recent past was very difficult. And I'm telling you right now that it is okay to have the raw emotions surrounding you. It is okay to be sad. It is okay to be hurt. It is okay to lament. It is okay to grieve. If you don't think that's okay, then just read through the Psalms, okay? It's okay to have an emotional response to difficult things in life and to work through that and to express those things to God. But there are two eventual results from hardships in life. And this is for Christians or non-Christians alike. Hardships, difficulties, trials are either going to make you a better person or they're going to make you a bitter person. And it can't be both. Now, the Bible is really clear about the role of trials and hardships. And Paul worked through this in a way where he had this perspective and this perseverance to keep going. We're told that trials are used by God to test us, to refine us. That's the Apostle Peter who says that. The Apostle James says that we are to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And when perseverance finishes its work, we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Trials are used to make you into a better and complete person if you can live with the perspective and the perseverance that God can give. But they can also make you bitter. 
And when you're asking the questions like, why, God? Why me? Why now? Why them? And you let those things live in your heart. It can make you angry and jealous and unforgiving. And you live with resentment and grudges and even hatred towards God or towards people. And when you let bitterness stay rooted in you, it it says in the book of Hebrews that it will corrupt you and it will corrupt many. And bitterness becomes this cancer for your soul. Trials can make you better or they can make you bitter, but never both. But we can believe God's promises. Like earlier in the book of Romans 8, I mentioned 8.28, but earlier it says that all of our present sufferings do not compare to the future glory found in Christ Jesus. We can work through these things knowing that our greatest trial, sin, has already been defeated. And we can see the bigger picture knowing that no matter what's happening now, this isn't forever. right? Our forever has been secured. We can find perspective in that to keep going. And you understand as a Christian that you cannot control your circumstances, but then you also believe that your circumstances don't have to control you. I'm going to invite the worship team up for a closing song that I know we all know. And we're about to sing that no matter what comes our way, that we can sing, It is well with my soul before God. It's only in this unwavering trust in God that you can truly authentically sing that. That no matter what comes your way, there is a hope and there is a peace and there is a joy only found in Jesus. I'm going to have a stand. I'm going to pray for us before we sing, but let's pray together as we close. So God, I thank you for the ways that you work uh, when we cannot see it, when we cannot understand it, when we do not expect it, God, we, we have this trust, we have this hope in you that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and that you can do immeasurably more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And so I pray for those who are in pain today, for those who are confused, for those who are frustrated God, may we just have this moment, even if it defies our own logic, that we can just sing whatever comes our way. God, that it is well with our soul, because we know that if we are in you, we are where we need to be. So God, I just pray that you just foster that hope and that peace in us today. We pray this in your name, Jesus.